This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Thanks so much for being here. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter in the New Testament. 1 Peter. We're continuing our series in this wonderful letter, and we'll be looking in chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, down through chapter 2, verse 3. So please turn there uh, with me. And then we'll focus our attention on God's Word in a moment. But we're going to pray for two members of our church who are in the hospital this weekend having a rough time. So, Lord, we want to humble ourselves this morning and pray for our friends, people that we love uh, in the hospital. We pray for George Jacoby, Lord, who has the virus and has been battling this week. And we, we pray that you would heal him. Lord, we pray for his walking. We pray for his kidneys. Uh, Lord, we pray for Mary Ann, his wife, his family. Have mercy on George. And I pray for my sister Kathy, Lord, and uh, pray that you would heal her. Pray that, that her eyesight would be fixed and that the doctors would have wisdom uh, about what's going on. So... Just pray for those two that we love very much. And know, Lord, today that you heal people. We thank you that you still heal people and that you are able. And we ask you to have mercy on these folks we love. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 22. This is God's word given to us a blessing, inerrant, inspired, authoritative for our lives. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. 
the Lord is good. And we are called to a life of love. I think that's the main point today from our text. We're called to a life of love. As a preacher, I think a lot about relevance. Why should anyone care what I say this morning? Why should you care? It's not necessarily important that you feel what I'm saying will make a difference in your life, but it is important to me that what I say really is significant for your life. I don't want to be irrelevant, and I don't want our church to be irrelevant. I want to make a difference. And I believe the way to do this is to stay close to God's Word. I believe the way to do this is to see what He says is important and make sure that's what we say. The way to be relevant is to say what God says is important, not what we think is important or what we think is relevant. In his book, Finally Alive by John Piper, he tells a story about, from the biography of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. He was raised, Clarence Thomas was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. And in his biography, he talks about going to the service one day and why he left the church. He went to the church that Sunday, and afterward, he thought it was all about church dogma, church beliefs, and it wasn't about the social problems that he was so concerned about. And so he said it, it just seemed hopelessly irrelevant to him. And responding to this, John Piper writes in his book, Finally Alive, in any given worship service, a dozen young idealistic Clarence Thomases might be present, full of anger about racism or global warming or abortion or homelessness or poverty or human trafficking or the treatment of illegal aliens. And then they hear me announce that today, we're going to talk about the way a person can be born again. And they might react like Clarence Thomas did and simply walk out and say, that has nothing to do with the real problems this world is facing. They would be wrong, doubly wrong. They would be wrong in the first place in failing to see that what Jesus meant by the new birth is supremely relevant for racism and global warming and all the other issues of our day. And they would be wrong, secondly, in thinking that those issues are the most important issues in life. They aren't. They are life and death issues. But they are not the most important because they deal with the relief of suffering during this brief earthly life. Not the relief of suffering during the eternity that follows. They deal with how to maximize well-being now for 80 years or so, but not with how to maximize well-being in the presence of God for 80 trillion years and more. 
Now, he wrote that in 2009. We are living in times where many, many, many more are angry, I think. We would expect there'd be many more Clarence Thomases even than when he was writing or when Dr. Piper was writing. Our text is relevant because the new birth is supremely relevant to these issues that we all care about. Racism and divisive elections and social justice and police reforms and pandemics. It's relevant. And the most important issues are eternal issues. My job and my passion is to deal with what matters most and to stay close to the revealed will of God and pray that by God's grace that if you're a young, angry person in the crowd, that you and everyone else will see and feel the magnitude of what God says is important. So to ensure that we capture the relevance of this text for us today, we're going to look at two points related first to our relationship to God, and then we're going to look at two application points. So number one, a point related to our relationship to God. Number one, I, I think Peter says clearly, is that we're changed by the gospel. We are changed, transformed by the gospel. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Something more basic, more fundamental than brotherly love happens when we purify our souls by obedience to the truth. The fruit of the born-again heart is love. The purification of the soul by obedience to the truth, it's leading somewhere. It's taking us somewhere. It's leading to sincere, earnest, brotherly love. It isn't the presence of brotherly love initially, but it leads to love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. And Peter says to the recipients of this letter, you purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. What truth is he referring to? In this context, the truth refers to the Word of God. There are different ways to understand the Word of God in Scripture. Hebrews 11 says, the world was created by the Word of God. John 1 says, Jesus is the Word of God. Mark 7 says, the Ten Commandments is the Word of God. Romans 9, the promises to Israel is the Word of God. But in 1 Peter 1, Peter is very specific in what he means by the Word of God that causes us to be born again. There isn't any room for debate. Verse 25, this Word is the good news 
that was preached to you. Obeying the truth in verse 22 means obeying the gospel. Obedience to the truth means obeying the gospel. That means believing in Jesus. It means believing in his finished work on the cross. When Paul and Silas preached in Acts 16, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Obedience to the gospel is believing on the Lord Jesus. The first and basic command of the gospel is not love your brother. What the gospel first requires is faith. Obeying the gospel is having faith. And Peter's going to describe this throughout this letter. In chapter 3, he says to the wives about their husbands that even if some do not obey the word, what he means by that, they're not believers. Not obeying the word means they're not believers. In chapter 2, later we'll see, he says about unbelievers, they disobey the word. The first step is obeying the gospel. Obedience to the gospel means believing. And so 1 Peter 1 is confronting us with a difficult truth. We've seen this already. God causes us to be born again. We don't cause the new birth. Prior to God causing us to be born again, we're hopeless. We're hopeless spiritually. We're hopeless morally, legally, before God. This is our condition until we are born again. Until we are made alive in Christ. Before the new birth happens, we're spiritually dead. We're morally selfish. We're rebellious against God. We're legally guilty. Before His law, we're under His wrath. Our condition is hopeless. And the new birth is something done to us. God causes us, according to his great mercy, to be born again. And so in verse 22, when Peter says that our souls have been purified by obedience to the truth, by faith in the gospel, and says that this purification leads to love, and is not the same as love, he's referring to the purification that takes place when we're born again. Think about it. It'll take you a couple years. Having purified your souls, verse 22, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, now the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Because since... You've been born again. Not by perishable seed, but by imperishable seed. Through the living and abiding Word of God. You're going to see how relevant this is as we walk through this. Underneath our believing, God causes us to be born again. That's why we pray for these babies. God caused them to be born again. I hope every parent is encouraged. Wow, what a way to start their life. In the midst of a believing congregation, praying that God will cause them to be born again. I am full of faith for 
the answer to that prayer. Because you've been born again, God's work is always the foundation of our work. We purify our hearts in obedience to the gospel. We act out what He does. He regenerates us. He makes us alive. We act out and we work. And we can do this because of His work. We got to get this right. God's work in the new birth is the cause of our work, our love. Verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's a command, but there's a prerequisite to that command. A purified heart by faith in the gospel. You have, verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Being born again is the source. Remember back in verse 3, God's work caused us to be made alive, born again, regenerated. We're able to believe the gospel. It purifies our heart and then it empowers us to love. It, it's amazing. It's all grace. It's under Neath our believing. It's underneath our loving. It's God's work. We know God causing us to be born again is the cause of our believing because God makes His Word the instrument of the new birth. You have been, verse 23, born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You have been born again, through the living and abiding Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is imperishable. The Word is living. The Word is abiding. And God makes His Word the instrument in the new birth. And the way the Word works in the new birth is by giving faith, awakening faith. That's what it does. So Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. And so as we sing the gospel. And as we preach the gospel. Our hope and prayer is that for some of you who are with us today. Or watching via the live stream. That the Lord will cause you to be born again. He will give you faith from hearing God's Word. He causes the new birth through the Word. That's why we just preach it. The Word causes our believing. Behind our believing and behind the Word is the work of the living God. God the Holy Spirit is present this morning. This is His Word. And He works through His Word and that's why we stick to this word and trust that he will use his word to accomplish his amazing purposes. It is relevant. James 1, of his own will, why are you a Christian today? He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
He brought us forth of his own will. He wasn't constrained by my will or your will. Our will was changed. It was made possible by his. Our faith is crucial. It's essential. It's the essential instrument in the purification which God does in us. God is the cause of it. We have to believe in order to be saved. The new birth is the birth of faith. He gives us the gift of faith. Left to ourselves, we won't believe. The dead don't come to life by themselves. God is rich in mercy, great in love, powerful in grace. He is the decisive cause. Doesn't that encourage you? It's about His work. You're praying for people you're sharing the gospel with. You're praying for people you love and care about. I hear it every week. People are talking about family members they're concerned about. Isn't it good to know that he is not constrained by anybody's will? God is rich in mercy. He's powerful. And change takes place in people's lives as a result. And the fruit is love. And nothing in life is untouched by the new birth, including racism, including homelessness, Every, all these issues we care about. Regeneration is relevant. We are changed by the gospel. The second point that has to do with our relationship with God from this text is that we are called then to a life of love. We are called to a life of love. It sounds a little cheesy. Sounds a little bit like a Hallmark card or one of their Christmas movies. Speaking of relevance, maybe, but it, it captures, I think, what our text reveals about us. The church, including our local church, but the church in general, has a purpose. Our local church has a purpose. God has created this church, this community, for something significant, something relevant. According to Peter, according to the Bible, God's Word, it's relevant. Couldn't be more relevant. It's important. We aren't at liberty to change our purpose. I don't think we want to change our purpose. The church is God's church. He's created the church. He has a reason for the church. It looks wise now if you're discerning. I've been thinking about running for president. I think if I did, I'd create a new party called the Unity Party. And I'd want the goal to be bringing the country together. I just wish some of our leaders would talk about that. It just seems like that's the issue. We're all divided. Maybe I'm idealistic. I don't know what I am. But I... Like most Americans, am not happy with how things are going. I don't watch cable news unless I'm forced to. Sometimes I am forced to. You be in a place, and there's one place that where I go to exercise, and they have you know 
one side, they have four TVs set up, sports, and then one cable news show that's on the left, literally, and one cable news show that's on the right, literally. And it's the only time I ever see, and it's like, are we on the same planet? I mean, they'll be talking about the pandemic. How to deal with the virus. Shouldn't we come together on that? It is absolutely opposite views. There is, <laughs> and what I observe is hatred. It seems like that's the most, I hate you, I hate them, and I hate them. It sickens me. It's, it's, it's a cancer. You think in this environment, a community of people that are characterized by love is relevant? <laughs> I think so. I think this could be the church's finest moment. Sadly, though, so many Christians are watching cable news. <laughs> They're divisive. They seem hateful. But that's not our calling. We're called to a life of love. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, verse 22, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It starts in the church. It goes outside the church, but it starts in the church. There is absolutely no divisiveness allowed. I'll just let the Lord speak that to your soul. No hatred. And I would just like to say thank you to this congregation. I'm amazed. Because there are a lot of different opinions. But we haven't observed divisiveness. And I'm grateful to God for that. I think we're rallying around the gospel. And I'm, I'm grateful. The, the purification of your soul leads to a goal, an aim. Loving people. It's the opposite of hatred. Born again people genuinely love others. They, Peter says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The heart's a metaphor for the real you, the central part of your being. A pure heart. Your soul. What you feel, your will, what you think, your mind. It's your, the whole you. And, and Peter says you're supposed to love earnestly, sincerely, really. From the real you. And obeying the gospel leads to this kind of love. It, Peter's not talking about an emotion. Like I fell in love. He's talking about something that endures. It's not based on circumstances. It's, it's, a, it's a strong love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a powerful love. It's a relevant love. It's a transforming love. It'll transform your marriage It'll transform those kids' lives. It'll transform churches. It'll transform nations. It has before, and I think 
it will again. I'm not going to give up hope. Faith working in love is what Peter is talking about. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, the aim of our charge, the goal of our charge, his instructions, he's writing to young Timothy, here's our goal, this is what we're aiming for. This is what the Bible tells our local church, here's our goal. It's not Bill's idea. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. God has called us to a life of love. It's the fruit of someone that's been born again. <laughs> All right, so a couple application points. The first one is love one another in the church. Chapter 2, verse 1. Put away all malice. All deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Notice how he repeats all, all, all. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Newborn infants, he's not saying they're immature. That's not the point. What he's after is this craving. Some translations use the word crave. Long for. That's what he's after. So he's, he's using newborn babies as a metaphor, as, a, as an example. This is what we should be like when it comes to God's Word. We should be craving the Word of God. We should have an appetite for the Word like a little baby wants Milk, it's, it's an index of our spiritual healthiness. How much do you want the gospel? How much do you want the word of God? That's where nourishment comes for our soul. That's how you, you grow. It's milk for the soul. The word of God, it's pure. It's the opposite of the sin. Peter's describing what all Born again, people desire. There is a desire there for God's Word. And He's encouraging them. He's encouraging us today, crave it. Long for it. The Word of God. We were born again by the Word of God. And now He says, desire it every day. Like babies desire milk. Feel the need for the Word of God. If you want to grow and live spiritually, you need the abiding Word of God. And every believer in here, something inside of you is going, Amen. You're not saying it, but I know you're thinking it. <laughs> Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we're going to love others and tell them the gospel and not be given to malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, we must hunger and thirst for the Word of God. Put away all. So put away all. So chapter 1, 
all about being born again, God's work. And chapter 2, they go together, don't they? So, because, put away all. One commentator, Edmund Hybert, says these three verses constitute one sentence in the Greek that centers on the imperative crave, long for. That craving is essential to the healthy growth of the new life. The obligation to grow involves the negative duty to remove all hindrances to growth, verse 1, and the positive duty to actively appropriate nourishment that furthers growth. The negative duty put away and the positive duty. You'll find this throughout the New Testament. So if you're discouraged about your spiritual growth, here it is. This is how you do it. You put away and then you feed on God's Word. You've got to put away malice. That's just a general word covers everything hateful. Everything against other people. Everything against God. And then he gets, then he gets specific. Deceit. Think about con men. You know these people that are calling us on the phone and saying they're the IRS. They aren't the IRS. <laughs> this is about craftiness. People that kind of come in and they want to they deceive you for their benefit. There can't, there's no place for that in God's Word. It's why multi-level marketing or these deals now where, you know, everybody's, the businesses are using this where, hey, if you recruit your friends, you get a month free. You know, don't, don't be deceitful. Hey, I, got a, I like my cable. Would you like to sign up? Just go and say, I want a free month. <laughs> if you sign up, I get a free month. You want to sign up? No. Okay. <laughs> That's why I, I'm a lousy salesman. <laughs> don't, don't be deceived. There's no place for deceit in God's church. Hypocrisy. Counterfeit acts. Religious impersonator. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? While they had their land, Acts chapter 5, while they had their land, people were coming, they were selling their land and giving to the apostles. Like Barnabas, he went and sold a piece of land and gave it to the apostles to use for the ministry of the church. And everybody was so encouraged and there was something very attractive about it. So they went... And they sold their land, but they wanted the money too. They were hypocrites. And so they wanted to get involved, but they were lying. Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart? You lie. You haven't lied to man. You've lied to God. And Ananias died. And then Sapphira came in and Peter said, did you sell it for this much? And she lied and she died. So don't be a hypocrite. And give in the offering this morning. <laughs> just it's just a, just a joke. And 
And Peter says, put, up, put away envy. We talked about this in August. If you remember, you don't. And that's why, <laughs> let me remind you. Envy. When somebody else is prospering, we have this, this feeling. One, one person said it's the running mate of hypocrisy. Envy wants to deny good to others. They just can't believe God has more good. So if you get good, I don't get some, so I don't like the fact that you got some. That's envy. And envy is powerful. Proverbs 14, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And finally, he says, all slander. There's no place in the church for gossip and slander. We should be talking about other people pointing out evidence of grace, God's work in their life, and not defaming them, gossiping about them. Put it away. Put it all away. All slander about other people in the church. Put it away. Don't slander somebody. Application two is share the gospel. Love those outside the church. This, this text, John Piper says this, this is probably the most important verse in the Bible, verse 23 specifically, concerning the relationship between the new birth and our role in how it comes about in other people. Because it says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So how will the gift of faith come to an unbeliever? How will it come? Well, we have to go and share the imperishable seed. You see how important that is? That's what motivates everything we do. Cornucopia is an opportunity to invite people to come to an event that's not religious. And that they'll come to this event and they'll eat all this wonderful food that Jake Simmons loves so much. They'll be drawn to it like Jake. They'll be drawn to all the fun. They'll, they'll see the church having a good time. And they'll be drawn. And then our hope is we'll have the opportunity to share the imperishable seed with them. We'll be able to tell them about Jesus Christ. We've tasted and seen that He is good. So we spend a lot of money on chili and hot dogs and funnel cakes and ice cream. But make no mistake about it. We're doing it all for the gospel. Doesn't mean that if we ask to share the gospel and you say, I don't want to hear it, you don't get ice cream. You get ice cream anyway. <laughs> Look down in verse 9. I hate to do this, but I have to do it. I'm skipping ahead. Verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why did he choose us? That you may proclaim 
the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are. We don't rewrite our purpose. We have a purpose and it's defined in his word. And we want to stick close to his word because we want to be relevant. We want to be significant. We want to make a difference. And the Lord has called us to a life of love. It's not cheesy. It's powerful. It's needed. It's wise. I want to conclude with verse 3. This is our greatest motivation. We're called to a life of love. This is our greatest motivation in the church and outside the church. In the church to put away all the hatred, all the divisiveness, all the slander, all the gossip, all the envy, and love one another. This is our motivation for preaching the gospel, for, for doing missions. We've tasted and seen that He is good. And we want to tell people about that. We want to share His, his goodness. I think the Lord is calling us to persevere. The Christian life is not a sprint, is it? It's, it's a marathon. It's a marathon and we need to endure. And this morning, the Lord is kind. During this season where it is so difficult, life is just difficult for everybody in 2020. It's just a season where the Lord is so kind to give us this letter to give us His Word to encourage us and remind us what our calling is, what our purpose is, and the reason for it is that He is good. We look back to what He has done. We have tasted and seen that He is good. And so we seek with all our hearts by the grace of God, having purified souls, to love one another and take the gospel to the world. For his glory alone. Amen. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. We, we are so grateful, Lord, to be in your church. We're so grateful for all the churches, gospel preaching churches in our community and around the world, in this nation. We are thankful to be a part of the church, Lord. Thank you for this calling that we have. My prayer, Lord, this morning is that people would be born again and that those who are born again, Lord, that they would be strengthened and purified by the Word of God, the imperishable seed. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.